On episode 239 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn what all champions have in common with coach Emma Doyle. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, this is Mirban Iranshad, your host, and welcome to another episode of the show. And today I have a great interview for you with Coach Emma Doyle, who I've had previously on the podcast. That was actually episode 151, if you want to check out her backstory in tennis and uh, her coaching philosophies. It was definitely a really fun interview. And today we're switching it up and talking about what all champions have in common. And it's a very interesting conversation because Emma has recently transitioned to uh, the corporate world, corporate coaching. And we see a comparison here between how we can develop champions both uh, in tennis as well as at work in the corporate world. And so I think that a lot of you may dually benefit from this. Uh, as you can improve both facets of your lives. As we all know, we learn so much from tennis and it applies, the lessons apply to many aspects of life other than tennis itself. And so if you don't know about Emma, uh, she helps individuals and teams who are struggling with their energy, purpose, and performance under pressure to adopt a curious high-performance mindset and develop coaching tools to unleash human potential. She is a tennis coach turned corporate coach, and she's now running coaching qualifications for a high-performance workplace and coaching certification, uh, and she holds qualifications and is experienced in exercise science, emotional intelligence, neuro-linguistic programming, and energy, energy coaching. She has coached a lot of amazing players, amateurs, as well as uh, the elite levels, and she is a native from Melbourne, Australia, now living in Denver, Colorado. And she has also been on numerous of my tennis summits. And I don't invite previously appearing coaches just automatically. She does such a great job and has so much, such great energy and is a fan favorite. So I have her on the, the summit every year. And so with that, I definitely hope that you uh, enjoy um, hearing about the traits of a champion and the corporate parallels. And there's also a lot of great tips for for coaches here um, as well. And we talk about things like resilience and, and purpose and uh, just how to maximize your potential. So with that, uh, I hope you enjoy. And here is my interview with Coach Emma Doyle. Hey, everybody. It's my pleasure and honor to have back on Emma Doyle on the Tennis Falls podcast. And we're here to talk about what all champions have in common. And I'm really excited to to speak with Emma to to talk about you know these these traits that you all should definitely be keep in mind and try to develop and so Emma first off thanks a lot for coming back to the podcast 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate everything that you're doing in our industry. And uh, yeah, I love this topic, very dear to my heart. So thank you so much for having me back. And I'm excited about Tennis Summit again and being part of that. So I appreciate you. Oh, thanks, Anna. Same with you. You're doing such great work impacting the lives of many people. And yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure have you back on my summits every year and, and the podcast. And, you know, I, I don't just automatically do that. I always like think about who, who would be the best for the audience and, and you always get such great reviews and comments. So uh, really excited. Emma, I'm curious, you know, I, I know that you, you make like a transition of sorts. So can you tell us about, um, you know, you've obviously done a lot of great stuff in the tennis coaching world and now you've kind of shifted your focus a bit. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I, I would love to. And the best way to probably explain it would be to be a little vulnerable and take you back in time, if I may, <laughs> if yeah. you're open to kicking off with a story. So back in the early 2000s, uh, I had my first ever business, which was called Tennis Innovations. And uh, that, that in itself is a cool story because that tennis club was going to be bulldozed into apartments. And my first job pretty much as a head head coach in back in Melbourne, Australia at Oak Park Tennis Club was to create this club. Uh, you know, we had, I had two coaching clients that were 50 members and I had to double the membership within one year. And so fortunate to say that that business is still going strong. There's now eight courts there. It's still called Tennis Innovation. So I'm so proud of that. But I went to two from, you know, from two coaching clients to sort of uh, 400 players playing tennis across four clubs uh, each week. So so that was one of my early experiences of success, right? And then like most things, after you experience success, there's also that other side where you come crashing back down to earth. And that was as I was building this business, I was beginning to take Australian junior teams away overseas. Now, if you can imagine it's a, it's a long way. The flight is a long way. It's, it's a day on an aeroplane, right? And all of a sudden you've got six girls anywhere aged between, I sort of had 12 to 15 years of age. And we would take these girls, you know, we wouldn't go away to Europe for one week. We go away for six weeks. So it's a very long time for young players. I was uh, in charge of young girls uh, for them to be away from home. And I felt like I would come back from these tours and I was like, why is it that I only bring out the best in half my players? Like if they were maybe a little bit extrovert or they were kinesthetic learners, I was like, yeah, you and I really get along well. And I, and so I thought, oh, you know, I just, I don't think this is for me. And I, I became really burnt out. So I had this successful club back home, but I was like, why, why am I having such challenges in this early part of my coaching career where I felt like I just couldn't maximize the whole group's potential? What happened was, and especially parents as well, I really struggled to be able to uh, relate to all the different types of parents that I was that I was taking away their, their children. So what happened was one of the most amazing things ever, which was I thought I'm going to get out of tennis because I'd been in the industry quite a long time at this point. This is sort of the mid 2000s. And so I was like, I need to I need to change careers, you know, because it can't be me, right? <laughs> but what did I learn? I went and studied and through an amazing company, which ironically is the company that I'm now partnering with called Open Door Coaching. And I wrote, I'll never forget 
the day when the the leader of this program, Natalie Ashdown, she asked me to deliver a coaching session and I wasn't allowed to give one directive command. So I had to basically mm-hmm. ask questions, right? The whole session. I was like, what? I'm so, you know, I'm I'm a great coach. Like this is how you hit a forehand, or this is, you know, this is where you hit the ball. So I walked away from that one coaching session and it was like an aha moment. It was like the, I was like, oh, wow, I have to change who I am as a coach to bring out the best in all the people that are in front of me. And it was a massive, massive moment. I found out high-maintenance parents are not high-maintenance parents. They're happy Monday parents because most of them are auditory digital learners, so they just require a lot of information. You just have to continually embrace them and understand them and communicate with them in a way that's going to be best for them, not communicate in a way that's going to be best for me. And so that was a moment in time and that was a couple of years and especially it was one year where I hung up the rackets completely. Mm. And then I was like, okay, I have to go back into coaching coaches how to coach because I didn't know this information and I was still, you know, quite a somewhat successful coach. But then I knew all this extra information about how to better communicate and how to better solve problems because I had a bigger coaching toolkit. I had a more expansive coaching toolkit. And that session where I had to only ask questions completely transformed the way that I coached tennis. Mm. And it is now even more relevant uh, in the workplace around empowering teams, around empowering decision-making, around empowering the players to actually under pressure, this is really important as well, to be able to solve the problems on their own. That's what I still love about the purity of tennis. Uh, so that's that was a huge moment in why and how I first discovered this incredible business coaching. Um, mm. So ha- what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, my question is, uh, I'm curious, like what are maybe a couple of questions that you ended up asking your, your students there? Yeah. So I moved from just a real telling and directing mm-hmm. to becoming intensely curious. How do you like feedback? How mm. do you, uh, what do you need before a match? How can I best serve you? Uh, you know, a lot of the time I represent, I've represented Australia on 20 occasions. So I moved into, uh, including the, the 2018 Junior Fed Cup team. I mean, I had three completely different personalities. So on the side of the court, when I was giving feedback between games, uh, sorry, on the change of ends, it was the way that I changed how I communicated with that each player. You know, some people, some were really relaxed, said, don't worry about taking notes. Other person, it was, you know, I needed to be more animated and more intense to help them with their energy because they fed off that. And then the other person, I needed to just be really sort of completely level, really calm the whole time. So I think that the questions became from a space of curiosity, like how can I completely understand the person in front of you rather than thinking I've got the answers. Yes, I have a lot of knowledge in tennis, but I really felt like it wasn't about what I know. And my definition of coaching, which really has been impacted uh, by the business definition of coaching is 
unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. It's not how can I imprint my map of the world on top of them. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I have my coaching philosophy, you know, the, the core of who I am, right, and I'm not completely changing that but I'm becoming deeply curious about how you learn and what kind you know, tell me about your parents. Tell me about how you grew up. Tell me about the environment that you're used to. Tell me about how I can best serve you. One of my mentors always says, Emma, we have to be in service to the sport. We have to be mm -hmm. in service to the human in front of us. Yeah. And that now just is, is, I call it, you know, chapter one, then there was chapter two. And, and now I'm basically taking the concepts from chapter one and chapter two into now my chapter three, which is in the corporate coaching space because there's so many amazing benefits and concepts from tennis, and I'm sure we'll talk about those in a minute, that drop perfectly into the workplace, right? Because mm -hmm. in the workplace, team members and individuals, they're under pressure. They're under pressure these days. And what's, what's our great sport of tennis? It's how you perform under pressure. On game day, that's what counts. Doesn't matter how well you you play in practice, which I'll just put in there. That's a, a bit of a, a plug for my presentation at the tennis summit. There, <laughs> linking practice with matches, charting matters, taking the concepts from practice and sorry from what's happening in your in your matches, and then mm -hmm. dropping that so it looks like what you're actually practicing when you're training. Yeah, yeah, being specific about your training. And yeah, you know, that, that approach that you mentioned uh, it reminded me, I don't know if you've heard of it, but Pat Flynn, he has a Smart Passive Income uh, podcast, and he also has Ask Pat. And on that latter podcast, he actually uh, coaches uh, students. So he'll have like a coaching session that he creates into a podcast, but he will he'll always be asking them questions, all questions, you know, pretty much no directive. So I really... Uh, Really admire that approach. I'm curious as well, like what what do you think the balance should be between directives and 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 more que you know question like uh, you know coaching because you, you obviously like you know when you when you watch coaches on YouTube or like Marta Glue or whoever like they're giving they're saying do this do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so it's a continuum. So I'm not saying, especially I know a lot of your audience are in the tennis world. It's, it's definitely a continuum and it's based on the developmental needs of the person in front of you and what you're working on. So if we look at as a specific example, because I don't want everyone to feel like that's just a cop out, it's a continuum, you've got to float along the continuum, right? But if we look at a specific example of a player who's preparing for an event or a tournament, the more that you go towards preparing for that event, the less directive commands are needed. Mm. So the more once you know once you you've you've done your uh, your preparation phase and you're in your pre-competition phase, it might be just one or two cues if you feel like the player needs something reinforcing. But otherwise, it's what are you seeing? What how are you feeling? Tell me about what's what what are you noticing about your opponent? And then giving them that confidence to say yes. 100%, you know that we've worked on that pattern for the last six weeks. You own that pattern. So it's really reinforcing their strengths. Uh, and I would say, though, if I had to talk about my own coaching, I know just working with a beginner, I, mean, I still love to work with all um, stages of development. I would say I'm about 70% what I call indirect. 
I'm asking mm-hmm. questions. I'm deeply curious. I'm and depending on their level. So if it is a beginner, I might ask a question, but only give them two options. So on that ball, do you want to hit it line or cross? Right. And then I'm slowly opening up the decision making. It's a bit like I don't take my little nephew to McDonald's and say, what do you want off the menu? Right. He's six. I mean, (laughs) so it's that if we can take that analogy and then apply it to whether you're a beginner, I still passionately believe in giving options and giving choices. Right. So that then they have the ownership. And even if they choose in my head what I think is the wrong decision, we'll give it a go. Because there is always also what I call your IT, which is your individual talent. And that's take my own game when I I play college tennis at Middle Tennessee State University. I mean, you probably shouldn't hit a drop shot from outside the doubles line cross court. But that was (laughs) that was something that was my IT, right? So I've always I always give my players their own individual talent. What's your IT? Oh, my IT is my inside out forehand, heavy into the right. Well, hit that from anywhere on the court. Go for it. Even if it's not, you think as a coach, oh, that they shouldn't have played that ball on that point. Everyone's got an IT. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so I think that it's something, I, I do want to also mention this. When I was coaching tennis coaches how to coach in Chapter 2, we did a study where we had spoken about indirect coaching, asking more questions, and we asked them at the end of the session, you know, what percentage they thought they were indirect versus direct. And, and a lot of them were saying, oh, I was 80% indirect. And they were, mm-hmm. interestingly, 90% direct. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of coaches might say, for example, hey, make sure you step forward when you have time to take your forehand down the line if you're you know, right-handed player, right, on the, on the juice side of the court. And then two seconds later, they'll say, hey, what, you've got, what have you got to remember about your left foot when you're going down the line? So that's a memory recall question. That's not actually a discovery yeah. question. It's not an open question. So I think if I could encourage coaches to do anything, and the minute I stepped out of tennis, this is when I learned this, is get really, really great at asking better questions and open questions and based on the developmental needs of the person in front of you and questions that empower and ignite curiosity and problem solving. Because at the end of the day, tennis is a problem solving game. And if you don't have those skills and resources, especially from a young age, and I mean young, you might be a 40 year old person who's just taken up tennis and you're listening to this. Yes. You're at the early stages of your, your tennis playing journey, However, it is super important that you still are able to make the decision because when that ball comes in the rally, the coach can't be telling you what to do with that ball. You need to be able to decide. And the quicker you make a decision, the better you will execute the shot. Yeah, uh, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, you need to be a problem solver as, as, a, as a tennis player. And, you know, when I'm out there on the court in matches, there's no better feeling personally than actually being able to figure out the the proper strategies and tactics that I should use or like, you know, deciding where the person's probably going to hit the ball. And, and that all comes from the ability to problem solve. And if you're just, as a coach, just telling the, the player every time what to do, then when they step out there in a match, like they're going to be expecting some sort of directives, which they can't get, you know, most mm. of the time uh, during competition. So uh, that's that's definitely. Uh, yeah. And, and what you mentioned also before about a lot of the online uh, videos, there's 
a lot of directive commands because they, they're trying to cater for an audience where they don't know who the player is in front of them right. or they're working with a, with a player specifically. So that's why those catchy direct commands are, are useful. I just urge everyone then to flip those commands into a question. Yeah. Yeah. Love mm. it. Love it. Awesome. Mm. And so, I mean, from all these awesome insights, what, what would you say your definition of coaching is? Yeah. So again, just before I share that, I'd love to also share a quick story about, uh, so one of my mentors in the business coaching world, she was mentored by a person called uh, Sir John Whitmore. Now, the fascinating thing about jo Sir John Whitmore, who's arguably one of the godfathers of creating uh, business coaching, life coaching, executive coaching, he actually uses or used the uh, the concepts within the inner game of tennis, which mm. I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with the book that came out by Timothy Galway, mm -hmm. The Inner Game of Tennis, in 1974. The book's as old as I am. I can't believe I just said that out loud. Uh, but <laughs> No way. <laughs> yeah, no way. Dude, unbelievable. Right. Uh, but the point is that he used some of these concepts um, specifically that the, the opponent in one's head is more formidable than the one down the other end of the court. That was concept mm -hmm. number one. And concept number two is if the coach can help to reduce um, or remove those internal obstacles, then a natural ability will flow forth. And so he, he took those concepts and was really impacted by the inner game of tennis, which of course, which is just awesome. As my two worlds colliding, tennis and, and the business world, to be able to create the, the definition that I, uh, I sled, shared slightly with you earlier. Coaching is unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. It is helping them to learn rather than teaching them. So good. So good. And the more that everyone listening can feel this unlocking within themselves. I know a lot of your audiences are, are actual tennis players as well. The minute you feel like, oh, yes, this is, I'm unlocking this within me. I, I now know at 4-3 what my game plan is or my go-to strategy, then there'll be the confidence that comes with that is, is a natural ability will then flow forth. Because as you know, being able to play in the present moment is the ultimate. So we think between points and then we want to just be. We want to trust our instincts, our intuition, and let that natural ability flow forth because we've done the preparation, because we've done the training. And the more a coach can help somebody learn rather than just purely teaching them, I think that that's the ultimate. And there was a great football, Australian football coach, he also, his definition is coaching equals teaching plus people management. Mm -hmm. And so if I combine those two together, all I would do is flip people management first. So get super, super curious about people management. Then you have to do some teaching. Absolutely. There's fundamentals that we have to teach. For example, on the, on the serve, we have to be able to teach that, that trophy position, of course, and then divide that by unlocking the learning. So that's that's a hybrid sort of definition that I've taken from all these master coaches and sort of created what I think is is really important. What did you think about that? 
I think it's fantastic. And I, I know that you, you pretty much covered these like in, in different uh, parts of our chat so far, but like, I guess if you could package it again, like how, how do you unlock a person's potential to maximize their own performance? Mm. That's a really, that's a deep reservoir question. <laughs> I don't think there's any simple answer, but I think in line, in terms of what we are talking about today, the five championship traits that I'm about to reveal, mm-hmm. everyone can access these traits. So if you want to unlock your potential, I invite you in a moment to think about how these traits show up in your life to, to unlock that potential within you. Because in my TEDx talk, one of my, one of my quotes is, it's not the person with the prettier technique who wins. It's often the person with the stronger character. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to unlock the potential that lives within you, how can you strengthen your character? And one of the ways is to compare yourself, have an honest assessment. I mean, no one needs to know your answer or maybe share it with your coach. But these five traits will really, I think, link in nicely with understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely going to be. Uh, keys, uh, individual keys, I think. But um, before we go to that, uh, Emma, I'm curious about if you could give us an example of a company that understands the uh, the importance of adopting a champion mindset. Yeah, I I would love to. So I have the fortunate uh, experience of in chapter three, moving into executive coaching. And I was coaching um, one of the managers at Uber, company Uber. Very cool. And a great company. And I was looking at their values. They just redid their values last October. And I absolutely just really resonated with their values. They're catchy. They have tangible behavioral traits linked to each value. And interestingly, especially based on the topic that we're talking about today, their number one value is bring the mindset of a champion. So they acknowledge that if we understand what champions have in common, and how you can bring that mindset back to their company, uh, that's, that's what they is their number one value. And more specifically, I'll, I'll read out exactly how they define that, is our ambition is what drives us to achieve our mission. How we define a champion mindset isn't based on how we perform on our best days. It's how we respond on our worst days. We hustle, embrace the grind, overcome adversity, and play to win for the people we serve because it matters. And they also, I, I invite everyone to, to check out the rest of the values, you know, two of the others that come to mind, uh, great minds don't think alike and see the forest and the trees. So just a couple of other little values there that are so catchy and they, they, they really are um, serving the greater good and the population. And if you even look at what they even, how they define their values, it's, it's basically the mindsets we ha- uh, embrace. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but the choices we make and the actions we take or something along those lines. So they understand that it's not just once you've got the mindset of a champion, then you can make a choice so that you can take action, which I'm all, all about action is far greater, taking action on just listening to this podcast and taking even one of the five traits and doing something about it is 
the difference between people who are successful and those who aren't. Hundred percent. So the the first part of the um, mission statement, uh, our ambition is what drives us to achieve our mission. I'm curious, um, how do we get ambition, or where does it come from? Because I, I feel like that's that's you know a lot of people even lack that. You know, they feel unmotivated and so forth. Um, so how, where do we get the ambition from? Well, this is actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I can't begin to tell you in the last couple of weeks how many times that's come up in terms of in the workplace, leaders are overwhelmed, exhausted, uh, they're struggling with their energy. And even back in Australia, some of the clients I'm working with, you know, they've just come off summer holidays and they're coming back to work exhausted. So one of the big things around that, I'm going to say quite simply is, even the best players in the world have a coach. If you are struggling with your energy, and that's one of the things that I coach on is energy. Uh, you could you probably imagine why. It's always come to me naturally. However, I have to work at it. This is the thing with energy and energy management because energy is tapped into your ability to take action. And if you don't have, if your ambition is is too vague or you don't really have a specific direction uh, and a purpose and a mission that you're going towards, then your energy will struggle. One day you'll, you'll feel motivated, the next day you won't. It's a bit like uh, New Year's resolutions. They, they, they're great for about the first month and then that's it because there has to be an emotion tied to the ambition. Mm. So make sure that you get a coach and make sure you work with that coach to focus on something that's bigger than you. The minute you have something bigger than you, so it's not just I want to become, I want to move from a 4.0 to a 4.5. Okay, well, that's great. But if you can attach an emotion to that, how that's going to make you feel, or if you could be in service to the club because that's going to increase, you know, the the club membership or that's going to help you feel like you're a part of the club. So, you know, belongings, uh, the fourth human need, such an important trait. So, if you can connect to something higher and work with a coach to do that, that w- w- will really align with uh, a higher purpose. Mm. Emma, what would you say that your uh, yours was like when you were uh, playing tournaments and all that? My ambition? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you're asking me to go back into the pre-coaching <laughs> chapter, uh, turning back the clock. It was definitely the moment – well, with my tennis playing career, interestingly, I at 12s wasn't that great. So I never represented, uh, I represented my local region, right? But I didn't represent my state. I didn't represent my country. But the one thing I did at 12s is I kept playing. I really enjoyed, so there was an enjoyment of the sport. Mm-hmm. And it was because the club environment was so fun to be at. We could rock down to the club and we could practice with with players Interestingly, just a total side note, but my best friend from Australia who I've known since I was eight, we grew up playing tennis together. He's actually arriving uh, to Denver tomorrow to come and see me. And so we've been lifelong friends since we were eight and he's, he's coming to town. Uh, I, wonder, yeah. we, I wonder if we'll get on the tennis court actually, uh, see how he feels. But he then went on to, side note, uh, play for the Dallas Mavericks and then the Chicago Bulls and, and the in the wow. NBA and, and the NBL. So he, but he didn't take up basketball until he was 17. So he was, he Jeez. was a high performance junior. So there was this amazing club environment. And then what happened was I actually wasn't that tall 
and wasn't that strong. But then I slowly caught up in in size as, as in my teens, while everyone else was sort of dropping out. So all those early spe- specialized tennis players who were killing me in the twelves, they were either quitting tennis or they weren't enjoying it as much. And I was just loving it, loving it, loving it. So there was that emotion because I was getting better because I was getting stronger, tall, etc. But it, the moment that I came to America to play college tennis was the moment that I realized what my ambition in tennis was. And that was to play Mm. for my team, to represent Mm. my team. And like when I coached for the Australian junior, when I put on the Australian tracksuit, there's no greater emotion to represent your country Mm -hmm. or to represent your club. And so what always drives me is the harnessing the energy within individuals to bring out the best within a team. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. So Emma, I'm curious now uh, to really want to jump into those, uh, those traits. I want to ask you what the, what are the champion traits and also the corporate parallels as well? Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for asking. So just to let you know where these came from, I have had, uh, as you know, I also run a podcast, the coaching podcast. Mm-hmm. And one of the guests, we, we interview uh, one sports coach and then one business coach each week and we release episodes every Tuesday. And one of the coaches who I interviewed uh, was Darren Cahill. And I think he is a fantastic coach and commentator. I love listen, listening to him commentate. And so he uh, did a presentation that really intrigues me, which was what do the top, so this is the top 10 male and female tennis players share in common. And when he did that presentation, I began to look at my own experience and I thought, gee, these, these five traits, they really resonate with me. I really believe in them. They were also what I believe is important uh, with the, in the corporate world, the parallels within the corporate world. So the first one is work ethic. Now, in speaking to, to Darren about this first trait, it's no surprise that work ethic is the number one trait. And he just reinforced that no one works harder on the tour than Rafael Nadal. Mm. And when I took a deeper dive into work ethic, the one thing that these champions share with work ethic is a tremendous ability to have consistent and solid routines and habits. So in the workplace, think discretionary effort. And in this new hybrid form of working, how do you even know if someone's working from home? How do you, how do you monitor that? How do you manage their work ethic? It comes back to having solid routines and habits. So that's, that's the first one. What are your thoughts on the first one? Well, I think a uh, natural question is how do you develop solid routines and habits? A great question. And it really does come down to looking at your habits, first of all, and perhaps even if you make a list and, and put down ones that serve you and then ones that are non-resourceful, that don't help you, they don't help you prepare well. And look at, I really invite people to look at the steps that you do right before the habit kicks in. So, for example, I worked with this uh, four or five gentleman out of Hong Kong. He was type A personality. Uh, He's a a lawyer and very just determined with his tennis. 
And so we identified his pre-match warm-up habit was not serving him because he was always getting off to a slow start. So perhaps Mm. you can relate to that or some other people can relate to that listening. And what we identified is that he would rush from a meeting straight to the club, straight to the club, straight to being able to, to, to jump on court. And he was so rushed that he wasn't able to think clearly about the match. So when we just blocked out 20 minutes of time and we had him read the newspaper at the club and sit down and have just a he loved a little espresso. I said, get yourself a little espresso, get yourself a nice, you know, a little bit of mineral water to, to wash it down, read the paper. You have to read a part of the paper just to take his mind off work onto something else. And that was an example of a habit. Sorry, beg your pardon. That was an example of a stimulus that we put in front of a habit to help him choose a different way of being. So have a look at what you do right before a habit, especially your your positive habits as well. What's the difference between the ones that you do well and the ones that, that don't serve you? And how can you put something in front of that habit right before you make that decision or take something away? That might be even just your notifications on the phone. I know I have all my social media in a tiny little box on my phone, so I can't see all those notifications popping up. And the next thing you know, you click on them and then you're down the rabbit hole. So maybe it's something as simple as that that helps you then get some time back because time and how we use time is something that's definitely within a high-performance mindset. Yeah, 100%. The uh, checking the one notification can go uh, turn into 30 minutes of uh, mindless scrolling. And, and so another, I guess, you know, on that topic, you know, I, I was speaking with Robin Montgomery uh, a couple of weeks ago, who she won the U.S. Open Junior singles and doubles which was amazing. And she mentioned that she also struggles with social media as well. But, you know, uh, let's say also with, with that replacement technique. So a, a lot of times I think people will grab their phone when they're bored. So like, would we then just kind of try to replace that with like some sort of game or, or note taking or crossword puzzle or something like that? Is that kind of what we want to do? Yeah, I think I I really when you know, take when I used to take junior teams away, we would put social media in as a hobby. So try and think of it like a hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. So now now I'm having social media time, or now I'm going to take the selfie of me at Roland Garros or whatever it might be, and trying to treat it that way, and definitely replacing where you where you are bored and there's things that you instantly do and you and you're down that rabbit hole maybe it's picking up a book maybe it's listening to a podcast maybe it's being do, doing your journaling but whatever you do my best piece of advice is to be fully present when you do it if you're listening to this podcast yes you, you may be exercising that that's fine or you may be driving but be fully present with what we're talking about because guess what that is tennis And when you've got to make a deal in the workplace, if you're not fully present, if you're not fully attuned with the customer in front of you or your team and the vibe of your team members in the workplace, it's not going to serve you well. So you're actually, if you can get out of that habit of just checking it all the time because you're bored and you're filling in time, what other things could you be doing so that yeah, when you do have social media time, go for it. Go down as many rabbit holes as, as you want, but treat it like a hobby. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like sort of like how how people advise others to schedule vacation time and break time and all that stuff. That's what you want Correct. to do. Um, yeah, on your calendar. I love using Google yeah, calendar. because when and when we spend hours and hours on social media, it's not reality. It's not actually what's happening in other people's lives. And then we just continuously compare ourselves to what other people are doing. And we don't often feel great about that. Even though it's not reality, the brain goes, oh, that person's doing really well. Or that's, and you constantly, it's that self-comparison that we need to be mindful of because you are not your sport. You are not your sport. You choose right. to play tennis, yes, but that's not who you are. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, the comparison trap, I mean, uh, you know, if you go on Instagram with your tennis friends, like you, they'll only be posting like the wins for the most part, and then you're in a losing streak and that might not feel great. But just like Nadal said, you know, he said it would be silly if, if you know, my, my neighbor had a bigger house than me to just be upset about that. You know, you're, you're on your own path. So uh, that was mm-hmm. what I really liked from him. So cool, Emma. How about we go to the, the second champion trait? The second tra- champion trait is purpose. Mm. Now, if we think about the longevity of the careers of people like Serena and Federer, they don't do anything unless it's with purpose. Mm. And especially to maximize their, their longevity of their career, a lot of younger pros can really benefit from, from that. And having purpose as a coach is critical. You have to understand why you're doing what you're doing with a certain player. And sure, that the session might go off in a tangent or you might have a certain purpose, but the player ends up, hey, no, this is what I got out of the session. Fantastic. But having a purpose and understanding your why and why they're doing something, I think is, is really important. So in the workplace, think about alignment and contribute. In other words, do I feel like I'm engaged with my work that uses my skills and my capabilities? And do I understand how I contribute to the business goals? Because if you don't believe that you know how you are connecting to the bigger purpose, then why would you stay in a job? And of course, I call it the the great reevaluation rather than the great resignation. But this is a huge part, purpose and contribute is super, super important. I think that's very valid for tennis players as well. If they feel like they're aligned with even the coach's values as Mm -hmm. similar to their values, and they feel like they're contributing to the club that they're a part of, then they'll, they'll stay and become a customer for life or they'll, they'll continue to fall in love with that, this great game of tennis purpose. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Beautiful. Um, How about the uh, third champion trait? The third champion trait is belief. So let me just take you back to an early memory of Victoria Azarenka. Mm. Australia was playing Belarus and she was, uh, it was the world championships in, in the Czech Republic. And she'd gone on and she'd beaten my number one player. And then my number two player is four one up and she's just done three double faults in a row. I'm sure some people can relate. <laughs> it happens. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden, this girl sort of down the other end of the court where my player was serving at, at Love 40, she goes, Bella, 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 roosh, roosh, roosh. I was like, I was like, what is that noise? You know, I was looking right. down going, who, who is that little girl? And it was Victoria Azarenka. There was something there around belief. 
she had this tremendous grit and fight and belief uh and it was wonderful to see. And I, that's why I was so happy to see her, you know, come back as a mom and, and do so well in the, in the US Open final. So in the workplace, we connect to that or we think work engagement. The higher the work engagement, the more you believe in the mission and the vision. So the stronger the engagement, the higher the productivity, the higher the productivity, the higher the retention. And as we know, once you've got all of those ducks in a row, the more profitable the company. So work engagement is 100% linked to your ROI. And the more engaged I am, that's, that's the stronger I will feel as an engaged employee. And there's another great definition, um, Eric Isle, one of my fellow business coaches, he says the definition of an engaged employee, I really love this one, is a fellow human who is so emotionally connected and committed to their work that they will willingly and proactively go above and beyond their job description to help the organization attain its vision, fulfill its mission, and achieve its goals. So imagine if we feel that way about our tennis. We're so emotionally connected and committed that we'll do the extra 20 minutes of stretching or we'll arrive for a training session 15 minutes before the actual scheduled time and because we care, because we're engaged. And therefore, guess what that links back to? We're going to, over time, we're going to increase our belief. Confidence equals time plus experience. Over time and with the experience of a coach or the experience of listening to this podcast is going to help you with your confidence and being connected to your work or your tennis. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, again, to, to how do we develop that that commitment to to our to our sport and to, you know, every individual practice? Is it that connection that we feel to the sport? Yeah, it could be that. Maybe you feel connected to the people that you play with. Mm-hmm. Maybe you feel connected to the coaching program and the opportunities provided at the club. Uh, Maybe you feel connected to the way that tennis is, like just the love of the actual game. Yeah. Uh, And the exact same thing in the workplace. If you're working, again, for a company like Uber, maybe you feel so connected to their values and their mission that it then allows you to have this higher engagement, which then – over time, increases your belief in your ability. So I really believe that. I don't believe one day you feel confident, the next day you lose that. It's, it's you build it like layer by layer by layer, right? You only, you only lose your confidence if all of a sudden, let's say you're a 3-0 and someone's put you in a 5.0 team where you've, you've jumped out of your comfort zone and therefore you haven't had enough time and experience to build, to work your, yourself along the, the continuum of self-improvement, and that's where you're not going to 
And then all of a sudden you're going to lose your confidence and you're going to be very disengaged very quickly. Mm. So stretching, stretching your, your comfort zone helps stretch your belief. I call it the onion model. You know, imagine an onion and in the middle of the onion, you've got three core superpowers. They're, they're the things that you know that you're really good at. Then just stretch yourself one layer at a time. And that's how you develop your belief over, over the journey. Mm, love that. Love that. Yeah, you've really made me reflect on um, <laughs> myself and in respect to these uh, traits. And yeah, with tennis, it's it's very powerful for me. I mean, there's something innate uh, within the game that makes me really enjoy it. But also there's a community aspect of all the people that I know in tennis and then the USA leagues being on the teams and the social aspect. And also, you know, just playing, you know, tennis with my dad, you know, because at a very young age, remembering that competitive aspect. I really enjoy that. So uh, it's pretty, it's got a spell on me, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what we hope for everyone. That's what yeah. we, you know, that's, that's what we, and that's what I'm sure companies want for their employees rather than throwing the values sort of in their face and saying, you know, you have to believe these. It's, it's, I do a lot of work with companies as well in unpacking the values of the team. So they have their own values that then align with the company's values and they feel connected. They feel connected to that. And I think that's really important. Yeah, it's so cool to see how these um, traits apply to both tennis and uh, the corporate world. So super cool. And um, yeah, I guess we can go to the, the fourth trait. The fourth champion trait is resilience. Well, we heard it even in, in the Uber values, didn't we? Overcome adversity. And let me just say, the example, the tennis player example that I'm going to give is somebody who I've had the opportunity of working a year and a half on her mindset. And many of your listeners, I'm sure, won't, won't necessarily know of this name, but Jamie Fullis. She's a young Australian uh, tennis player who made the final of the mixed doubles at the Australian Open this year, 2022. And it was so wonderful to see in her, even in her young career, she's had a number of challenges that she's been able to overcome. And it was, yeah, just so great to see her make the final because, as you know, sometimes if we do well in doubles, it can tremendously help our singles game and vice versa. But just being in the tournament, being in a final, at the, you know, being in the back end of a second week of a grand slam does tremendous amounts uh, for your confidence. And one of the techniques that uh, that we did when we worked together that she still uses today is what we call the micro snap technique mm. where she's allowed to let her emotions come out. You know, she's, she's part Greek, right? So she's allowed to, she lifts, imagine a, a rubber band around her wrist. When she lifts it, she's allowed to be, oh, you know, if she's missed that easy ball or there's been a buildup of tension or, and then when she, she lets it go, it sort of snaps down and hits her wrist and she says, snap and stop or stop or whatever the, the word is. And if that needs to be a bit aggressively and if it needs to be out loud or, or in her mind's eye, go for it. And then she replaces that with her anchor and her affirmation. Hers is, um, I am ready. So when she touches that dampener, she's, I am ready. And she's bringing herself back to the present. Now she can continue on with her between point routine. So I really love that's called a micro resiliency technique and mm. being able to have micro moments of resiliency and macro moments of resiliency is really important because in the workplace, think about stress and your intent to stay in the job. 
So in other words, do I believe that the amount of stress that I experience is reasonable for me in the role that I'm doing? And if they don't believe it's reasonable, even though they might have high uh, work engagement, et cetera, if they, don't, if they believe that the amount of stress is not reasonable, then they will leave the job. So there's a direct correlation between stress and intent to stay. If we don't teach resiliency techniques, macro and micro, and we don't give actual practical strategies on people being able to release stress, then it will play out unresourcefully. It will not serve you. And I'm a big believer that the mind and the body are just intrinsically linked. So this trait out of all the five traits, if people can just take this one trait and have a real honest self-assessment of their ability to get over themselves, because I'm sure you'll agree. And I remember this when, you know, when I was playing and even as when I coach at a high level, it's often our ego that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I worked with this one guy that he said, if I, like in the first game, if I drop my serve, because I mean, I should never drop my serve. My serve is so big that I would then lose a set. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the first game. And his, his ego was getting in the way and he had zero resiliency strategies. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really, really important. And how that relates to the workplace is is the way of the future because, as I mentioned earlier, people are tired, people are overwhelmed, and especially managers and leaders are often picking up a lot of the work from other members of the team, and they're exhausted. A lot of the time when I speak to my executive coaching clients, they just want to offload. They want to just, I'm like, hang on, I feel like we, hang on a minute, but 45 minutes of them offloading is like the best therapy that, not therapy, I should take that back, but the best coaching session that they could possibly have. Mm. And so, uh, and just with me listening, I think is, is been a real eye opener for me that they're like, Oh, there's, I can be honest with you. I can be authentic. I can be real. I just need to get this out of my head and off my chest and boom, now I'm ready to, to go to my next meeting. And I think the same goes in tennis and we do have opportunities. We have that 90 seconds on the change events, mm. to release those emotions. And if you can get used to the, like the micro snap technique, Resiliency is is definitely a champion trait that is accessible to all of us. Mm. So I guess resiliency is much tougher when you're exhausted and you have low energy levels. So I guess maybe as a well, either way, tennis player or, or in the corporate world, how how do you cope with that as uh, that particular situation? Well, there's a number of different techniques. So again, it's going to depend on who's the person in front of me, what what their needs are in that moment, uh, but. Let's just go with uh, one, one strategy. Often it's, I call it discovering your inner coach. So if you're telling yourself cons- consistently, and this, this applies for the workplace and tennis, but I'm tired, I'm exhausted, my feet are not moving, it's, it's hot out here, it's, it's hot and it's windy and I'm really struggling. I didn't sleep last night mm-hmm. and I had a fight with my partner and I've got to pick up the kids, you know, and I'm, I'm just under the pump and... So that's at least sort of eight short, sharp statements that need to, uh, that are not never going to serve you. Then it's never going to help you feel fresh. Now, I'm not saying you flip each of those statements into what, you know, toxic positivity is not, even though a lot of my clients call me the, the female version of Ted Lasso. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't believe in flipping those into, I feel amazing. I feel great. My energy's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm full of energy. No, it's not about that. It's about flipping what we call reframing those statements into empowering short, sharp statements. So rather than I feel tired, I'm in the present moment and I choose to do the best with the energy resources that I have right now. Mm. I believe in me. I realize that the conditions are tough today and I thrive in tough conditions and I acknowledge my reality, which in other words, maybe you haven't, yes, it's true that you've only had three hours sleep. So I acknowledge my reality and can do is my middle name. Mm. I've got this with all the resources that I have right here, right now, that's what I've got. And I choose to maximize them in this moment. So Mm. that's a, uh, just a, a quick story. So imagine reading reading that story. There was actually a uh, reminds me of a club I worked with in Atlanta, and they were having a lot of problems. They had a new coach, and so they had all these like, oh, the, our old coach told us this, but our new coach is telling us this, and I get in trouble for standing in no man's land, and I don't even know where I'm meant to return the ball when it's an important point. We are totally confused, and we don't know what to do. So we worked on those things. We flipped their story. We laminated it. We took a photo of the team and they had to read it out before every one of their uh, altar matches before they went out on court. So we just flipped the script. And again, we didn't flip it into being unrealistic. We didn't flip it into some positive version that's like not people are going to go, yeah, right, that's not true. We actually, and we actually dealt with the, the problems at hand. So, for example, court positioning was the theme for the next two weeks. Mm. Here is, if you're confused of where you need to be on the court, let's go through every role, roles and responsibilities around court positioning. So there's a practical example of flipping the script to build that perseverance. It's resilience into perseverance because not every tennis match you're going to play is going to be enjoyable. And you are going to play against opponents who you're like, oh, I can't stand playing that team or that, you know, whatever it is, whatever that past history is. But if you stay there, then it's not going to serve you well. It never does. Yeah, definitely. I I had a doubles match last night and, and, you know, I wasn't playing particularly well, but I just said, you know, you got to just try your best to execute the strategies and, and, you know, go back to your strengths and try to, you know, grind it out and, you know, do your best. you can't just kind of give up, which I've done. Yeah. Before. <laughs> while, I, while I love that. I love yeah. that. And if I was coaching you, I would flip the word try. Mm. I would flip it into choose. Mm, yes. Mm. Yeah. I make, I make a choice right here, right now to be in this, in this game, in this moment. Mm. I accept, I accept my game tonight unconditionally. Let's go. Mm, so, I love that. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, just, it's, it's just, and also, just while we're on words, just be very mindful of the word should. I should have hit that ball cross court. Like it just doesn't empower. It's not a great way for you to quickly get over yourself and get onto the next point. It's mm. kind of got guilt around it. It's kind of got blame. It's got justify. It's kind of got all these uh, things around should, you know, my partner should have poached on that ball. Well, they didn't. So next time, how could we make a different choice? So just be mindful of that because I think it, it directly links to resiliency as well. 
Thanks, Emma. Yeah, I can already remember myself saying to my partner, oh, sorry, I should have hit it there. <laughs> so, uh, I got stuff oh, to work on. <laughs> yeah, one more. I have to throw it in, of course. Uh, yeah. The, the Ted Lasso, we mentioned him earlier, but yeah. uh, be a goldfish, another great micro oh, yeah. resiliency technique. So be a goldfish and let it go. You know, the memory of a goldfish, uh, I think in the show they say 10 seconds, but my research said yeah, like eight seconds. So the quicker we can let it go, the faster you can move on to bringing yourself back into the, the prefrontal part of the brain, the cortex. And then you can think clearly about what you need to do. Mm. I remember Ted Lasso had that um, Believe banner up there, which is number three for us today. So, yeah, I see it. Uh, can you raise it up a bit? There we go. Nice. Yeah, let me just. And see what this is just quickly. And this is another little technique um, that I used. I actually ran my first tennis and uh, corporate retreat in Costa Rica in January. Oh, and cool. everyone had a fortune cookie. So I know this is an audio podcast, but I'm actually showing the audience here a, a little ball from on court, off court with the, the motivational words. This one says believe, and we cut it open like that, and we put motivational quotes inside uh, it. And we also had when somebody did something well, you had to say, you know, you really liked the way that I trained today and, and it made you a better player. You you put a, a little message for me in my in my ball, so my cut open ball. Um, so little symbols, things like that to help people connect that mm. goes back to belief and work engagement, team engagement. So I couldn't help myself. A little believe ball there. Love that. Love mm. that. Thanks, Emma. That's really cool. And yeah, so let's go to, uh, go to uh, number five. Number five of the champion traits, the final one is teamwork. Now, you may think, yes, tennis, isn't that an individual sport? Okay, at the purity of a singles match, it is. But let's be honest, even in a singles match, the people that have helped you get to that moment are part of your team. And even a, a young junior player is going to have a number of people on their team. Even a, a person you know, in their 60s playing tennis is going to have people on their team. And uh, there's no doubt the, the stronger the, the team the more that you are successful. You know, look at Ash Barty winning the Australian Open. Uh, her team, Craig Tyers, has been the same team from day one. We look at successful doubles teams, the Woodies, the Byron Brothers. They all have a great support team around them. So in the workplace, we think team connection. And the question is, do I believe that teams in this organisation work well? Do I trust my team leader, my team members? And here's the thing. You have to be able to create the space. You have to be able to maybe make, uh, you know, move, with, move forward to the, the new normal. Perhaps it's a walking meeting. I mean, every second person here in Colorado has a dog. Why not have a meeting while you're both walking, walking your dog? Mm. I mean, I think happy hours have to change. I think you have to create space. As a, as a leader, as a manager, to make team connection happen. There's so many things that you can do. I actually have a, a free download on different team connection ideas. I even, in my Zoom webinars now, I finish with um, wheelsofnames.com. You just throw everyone's name in a wheel, like spin the wheel, and it, 
and someone wins a prize. I mean, who doesn't want to win a prize, right? <laughs> but finding little unique ways, uh, such as uh, the fortune cookie balls that I showed you earlier, um, virtual cooking classes, but different ways to connect with your team because the better you connect, the the higher the performance and the happier players are, the better that you play. So that's that's a no-brainer. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, another follow-up question, as you might have expected. Uh, how do you uh, choose a strong team? Mm. Well, one technique that I'd suggest is take an honest assessment of your team today. So draw, draw, put a, draw a little tennis ball if you're in the tennis industry, put yourself right in the middle and then just draw out who is currently on your team and have a look at their strengths. Mm. There's strength in diversity. So you want to make sure that, that you've got a good cross-section of skills of people that can help you. And mm. if you feel like you're lacking in a certain area, then who can you go to? Who can you even call yourself and say, you know, you interview so many experts. Hey, I'm looking for someone on my team in mindset coaching, right? And maybe you've got two or three people that come to mind you could refer. But have an honest self-assessment, a snapshot of where you're at, and then look at where you want to go and then look at the gap and then go about filling in the gap and, and interview people. When you look at a coach, interview them, ask them what their strengths are. What are they going to bring to the table? How can they add value to your team? You're interviewing them as much as perhaps they, they're, they're interviewing you for the position to be a part of your team. And that's no matter what level you play, I think that that's a really important assessment to be able to do. Definitely, definitely. And, and what if, you know, when, when you just sit down and evaluate your team, you, you uh, discover or maybe you just, you know, re-bring up the fact that somebody maybe isn't well suited like how do you handle that so you have a courageous conversation okay you have a courageous conversation um i'll, I'll share one of my quick tips around that as well because mm. you can tell i'm all about providing as much practical strategies and helping people add to their their playing toolkit or their coaching toolkit, but I call it TFFI, we can fly. It's a great little mm -hmm. courageous conversation formula. It stands for what's the topic, T, the next letter, F, what are the facts, the next letter, F, how do I feel? So feelings, what are my feelings around that? And I is impact. What's the impact of the situation? And then W is what you actually want. The, the C is how you win them back over. You, you acknowledge how you've contributed to the situation. Mm. So C stands for contribute. And then the last W is way forward. So moving forward, we're, you know, we're going to part ways, but I hope we part ways on a, on a beautiful note. And uh, I hope that in the future, you know, when we see each other at tournaments, that we can stay connected. But it's time to, for mm. me to, uh, to move in a, in a different direction. So topic, facts, feeling, impact, take a breath, <laughs> want, contribute, forwards, moving forwards. Great little conversation, courageous conversation technique, but have the conversation. The longer you wait, the worse, the harder it is. Yeah. And if you feel it in your gut, when you draw out your team and your gut just says, if there's a strong, overwhelming feeling that you need to make a change, make a change. Most of the time I see people make a change 
and they they honestly they lie or they just stop calling the coach like they don't confront it and i think as a coach we have to be reflective we have to be open to feedback and if someone leaves you you know wish them well like that's a good thing that it open maybe it opens up space in your own life for a new client that's maybe there's a better fit there so mm-hmm. i just wish that people would have the courageous conversation a bit more often than just lie to the coach and and say you know see you later yeah yeah definitely wasting time there <laughs> but yeah. it's it's tough but you got to got to be courageous love that it's not easy i acknowledge that too it's not easy and the only reason i the only reason i'm much better at it now is because i got out of tennis when I got out of tennis, the earlier story, that's what catapulted me back into it because I knew that I had to get better as a person and be more courageous mm-hmm. rather than a people pleaser. Just say yes to everybody right. as, as we know that that doesn't serve you well either. Yeah, that's the one thing with me that I still am <laughs> trying, to, trying to provide more balance to myself. Good stuff, Emma. So, I mean, what do you think the way it, of, of the future is going to be for, for coaching? Well, I think that the way of the future is for everyone to have a think about, do they have a coaching culture in their workplace? And from a tennis perspective, equally, do you have a coaching culture where you are encouraged to problem solve? Are you encouraged to think independently? Are you encouraged to make your own decisions to unlock, remember, the potential that lives within you? And the way of the future, I passionately believe right now in this workplace where people are exhausted and they're low on energy is the coach, the manager as coach, and the leader as mentor. So I have actually created a a brand new word. I call it a couture. So it's a coach and a mentor together. And I think mm. knowing when you need to wear that mentor hat, I mean, sure, you've got a new team member that's just joined your company. You're going to have to do some directing, some telling, some mentoring, wear that mentor hat. The quicker you can release that mentor hat and put on your coaching hat. So the coaching culture isn't just how we do things around here, but the coaching culture is actually a culture of listening, is a culture of asking questions, is a culture of igniting curiosity, then you'll be able to solve bigger problems. You'll be able to delegate more as the leader. And I think this is critical in this hybrid world. So no matter if you're a tennis player or you're a leader in the workplace, I'd love everyone just to reflect on whether even the coaching that they have as a tennis player, do they have that culture? Do they have that coaching culture within, within that workplace? What are your thoughts on that? Well, one uh, specific question is, um, you know, you talked about you need to become a better listener. How do, you, how do you become a better listener? Great question. Accessing your intuition and being fully present. Hmm. What does the first part mean? Or how do you do that? Yeah. So, Perhaps it's the other way around. You need to be fully present to access your intuition. Mm. You need to practice being in the moment. You need to practice being still. You need to be practice being mindful. And I do a lot of guided mindfulness uh, visualizations that mm. are only six minutes for my clients. They're very personalized, but mm. being still for six minutes is doable. 
is doable in your day. And when you can practice this as a skill and be truly connected to the moment, like right here, right now, the only thing that matters to me is being at one with you. That's Mm. the only thing that matters. I'm not distracted by my phone. We've got plenty of time for this interview. I'm not worried about what I'm doing for the rest of the day. I'm completely here with you. And I'm completely listening to your questions and your challenges as you are with this information. We are together. And that skill of being present allows you then to tap into your intuition. And a huge part of intuition is in listening to the gut and your gut health of being able to know that both courage and fear live in the gut. Mm. So being able to, yes, tap into your heart, what do you want? Then you tap into your head, your head's the pros and the cons, and then shifting down into your gut is a great way to access your intuition. So it's actually called embraining. So I just checked in with my heart and I went up to my head and now I've gone back into my gut to really know what I need to do and listen to that to that message because there'll be a message there. could be around a coaching session, could be around a tactic, could be around your team members in the workplace. But that is two things that I think that I'll be forever fascinated by myself. And, hey, we don't always get it right. And most of us fail on a daily basis. I either win or I learn. What can you learn from those decisions? Perhaps you needed to uh, to think through things before you listen to your gut. But being present, and I think that's something in today's society, we touched on it earlier, people are so distracted and they're often that the phone's even vibrating, might be on silent, but maybe it's vibrated in the pocket and then all of a sudden you're off down a different tangent instead of being fully present. And tennis is a game of being present. You have to think and then shut it off, play the point. Think, shut it off, play the point. So if you want to improve your tennis game, that's, that's definitely one way to do that. Yeah, for sure. So I kind of the opposite, you know, uh, scenario or question in a sense, like what, what happens, like what, what negatively happens, like when you are distracted, like say if you're in a meeting and then like, you know, G G chat pops up and you go to that or you check the news or like, mm-hmm. say if you're you know, in a tennis lesson and you're getting coached and you're just thinking about, you know, the rest of the day, like what's, what are the negative effects of that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it is normal and natural. And if you don't practice uh-huh. this as an actual skill, so please don't think that, that you know, I don't do this. Sometimes I do do it, right? So, yeah, me too. Yeah. It, so it's totally fine uh, for you to, for the, it, it to happen. But like anything, if you want to make a change, you have to bring it to your conscious awareness and you can only bring it to your conscious awareness if you're actually go, oh, I just caught myself going off there. Now maybe it's re- return, maybe it's a deep breath. Connecting with my breath because that's bringing myself back to one thought. Because the mind can't can't. We think we can multitask, but the mind can only hold one thought at a time. It can't mm. hold two. Th- we can be doing two things, but we can only hold one thought at a time. So being able to connect to something just your breath. So one of the techniques I use to help anchor and really become present for my coaching session or a podcast interview is I use I put my thumb, my middle finger, and my index finger together. And when they touch, I just say head, heart, and gut, I can do it. 
or I am present or I am ready or I'm in the moment. So the affirmation isn't I'm amazing or, uh, uh, you know, uh, I have the biggest forehand or I'm going to win this match. It's actually just helping me re- and remind me to access positive feelings and, and my state of being able to be fully present, to be with one, to be one with you right here, right now. So that's what I passionately believe in and so important, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're on the tennis court, that you have that ability to be present, truly present, because that is coaching. Love that. Love that, Emma. Are there any other, you know, takeaways or, um, you know, just approaches that we that we need to think about, you know, in regards to becoming a champion that maybe we haven't uh, quite touched upon today, or just any any points that you want to like reiterate for the audience to, to you know, for their next step they should take. Mm, yeah, well, I guess just to share a little bit, I'll do that in a minute. But just to share, sure. I guess in my chapter three for what I'm actually doing now, uh, and that might help open up some insights around that. That is, I'm taking the concepts of tennis and especially high performance and dropping those into the workplace. So, as you know, I have a podcast called What Makes a Great Coach. That's the third question on the podcast. You were one of my guests on the in the early days on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I have over 500 responses to this question. And definitely by summer, I will have finished the book. I'm in the trenches with it at the moment. It's called What Makes a Great Coach. Mm. It's based on these 500 responses of both tennis coaches, sports coaches, business coaches. I have Patrick Maratoglu. I have uh, actually eight former top 10 players in the world um, who answered this question. And I'm taking the traits of great coaches and putting it together based on my own experience and based on the answers into a book. So there are chapters such as curiosity, resilience, listening, empathy, passion, and decision-making, just to share six, six of the 10 chapters that I believe what makes a great coach. So if you're a player listening, I'd love you to think about what makes a great player and also what makes a great coach that you're seeking out in, in the person that you work with. Because what I'm passionate about doing now is helping people in the workplace coach others. A coaching culture in the workplace is shared values, beliefs, rules, and and artifacts such as your assessment tools. Strength scope is one that I use. Plus coaching skills is what equals a coaching culture. So I'm excited to be running a, uh, through, I mentioned earlier, the Open Door Coaching Group. I'm using Australian methodology of coaching and for the first time actually bringing that to the United States. Um, there's a couple of courses that I'll be running. Uh, the entry-level one is called Leader as Coach. And the one that I'm super passionate about is called uh, a high-performance workplace coaching certification. It's uh, recognized by the ICF. So you can go on to become a registered coach here in the, the United States, or perhaps you're within a business, you might be a leader within a business. But this certification gives you coaching tools, gives you all of that ability to be able to create that coaching culture in your workplace and perhaps even within your team. I mean, imagine if you are the team leader of your your 3.5 team and you're actually asking, hey, 
How do you like to be communicated with on the change of ends? What? How do you like to warm up? What? Do you like music? Do you like people saying nothing to you? Imagine if you knew those answers, even if you're a player, how to bring out the best in your in your partner. Uh, I have a YouTube clip on that. It's called Does Your Personality Match Your Game Style? So if you want to better understand your partner, check that one out. But this coaching qualification, I'm super passionate about, and it's using the concepts of high-performance tennis, and we're actually running our first one in March. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, I'm doing a once-off only special for people to attend uh, this course because it will be the first one in the United States, um, and it, I'll only discount it just this one time. So if anyone is interested in wanting to know more, then we'll pop the link uh, that you can download the brochure and you can jump on my calendar di- directly and book in a, an appointment to learn more about this course. Um, or perhaps you've got a leader or a manager that you think could benefit within your organization. Uh, I would love to help answer any questions that you might have. So please take action. The ball is in your court, as I always say. But if there's one thing that you can do, and take inspired action on is write down those five champion traits Mm -hmm. and give yourself an honest self-assessment of where you're at now. And perhaps even do, I encourage you to do that within your own career or your workplace or, or for your team. Think about those, those crossover corporate parallels. And maybe it's just a, a simple marking system could be high, medium, low, or could be one through five and give yourself an honest self-assessment, look at where's the gap and think about where you want to go and then get yourself a coach to improve in that area. Love that. Love that. Appreciate that. And also um, you mentioned the inner game of tennis. Uh, Any other books, and they don't have to be specifically tennis books that you think uh, our audience should check out? Yeah, sure. Uh, So let me just pull up my little list right now, the ones that I'm fascinated by. So a couple that I'd recommend is one's called The Leadership Circle by Robert Keegan. So I think that one is any leaders out there. I really love that one. There's also Helping People Change. And that's by uh, Richard, I'll spell it, B-O-Y-A-T-Z-I-S. And Servant Leadership, David Marquette. So I think, you know, he's all about leadership is an intent. The Tao of Coaching is another one. I forget off the top of my head who wrote that. And I also just do love Who Moved My Cheese, Mm. one of my first early coaching books that I read. So there's five recommendations that I highly recommend people check out. And I also have recommended all those books uh, not in tennis because you, the business world can teach tennis players so much and tennis players can teach the business world so much. I passionately believe that that's what my podcast is all about. It's pretty much one tennis coach and one business coach each week. So check out one or two of those resources and, of course, um, the coaching podcast and, of course, this podcast as well, some of the things I'd highly recommend. Awesome. Appreciate that, uh, Emma. And, yeah, we'll have all the links to all of these resources uh, in the show notes. Uh, how about uh, as far as people who want to connect with you to follow you, like where where's the best place or places to do that? Yeah, so my website is emmadoyle.com.au. So that's very much the, the corporate world that I'm in. For any tennis coaching resources, it's acecoach.com.au. 
And then if you're interested in all my social media links, uh, I also just have a link tree, which mm. is uh, uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot double E forward slash Emma Doyle, I-I-I, inspire, improve, impact. Mm. Love that. Love that. Awesome. And I guess to, to close it off, Emma, what is one key tip that you can give us to help us improve our, our tennis games and perhaps also um, <laughs> other aspects? <laughs> Take a deeper dive into the resilience uh, trait. Take a deeper dive into that. So just to reinforce everything that we've said here today, but that one is one that I'm seeing come up time and time again and practical strategies. A lot of people just say, just get over it or just be positive or just be resilient. Well, you can't just be resilient if you don't have any tools. So access a, a coach a mindset coach or somebody who can help you with those tools because at the end of the day, it's not the player with the prettier technique who wins, but the player with the stronger character. If you want to develop that character, develop your micro and macro resiliency skills and get yourself a coach because having a coaching culture in your life is the way of the future. Even the best players in the world have a coach. I'm sure you have a coach and I have a coach. So, uh, and I just wish everybody to fail every day, learn from it, and that's how you'll become successful. So thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to share chapter three of my journey. I've never been so excited and motivated and, and uh, to bring the Australian methodology of coaching here to the United States and help people, of course, unleash their potential. Thanks so much, Emma. And it's just so cool. We were talking about um, a few days ago, just how you're able to bring that, that, you know, the tennis twist or, you know, that, that aspect into the, the business uh, world. I think that's so cool to, to represent us like that. So really, really excited to see what's next for you. And, and thanks again for all your contributions uh, so, to many aspects of people's lives and pleasure to connect and looking forward to uh, seeing you again soon. And obviously seeing you on the summit really soon. So thanks again. Absolutely. No, my, my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for being present and for listening. Awesome. All right. I hope you really enjoyed my interview with Coach Emma Doyle. And Emma, thanks so much for coming on to the show. And all of the links that we mentioned during the interview will be on the show notes page. So just check out your podcast app of choice or go to tennisfiles.com slash podcasts and you can check out the links there. If you enjoyed this show and found value from it and in general enjoy the show, then I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. Also would like to leave a quote for you as I do at the end of the show regularly. And this one is by Rutherford B. Hayes. And Rutherford said, the expert in anything was once a beginner. Great quote there. I've been working a lot on my serve, and I actually have entered the uh, serve challenge with my friend Peter Freeman, and he's given me some great feedback. So I just wanted to share that. I'm really excited about getting more MPHs on my serve. It's been really fun. Uh, but with that, we've got some great interviews coming up for you that I think you'll really enjoy. But in the meantime, hope you get to play a lot of tennis. Uh, be safe and keep improving your tennis game. This is Mirban Aranshad. Signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.